This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 18, with Jasmine Solano. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. Today, I've got my awesome friend, Jasmine Solano here, who is a super talented lady DJ and many other things. Jazz and I met a couple years ago, and the funny thing is, I saw her spinning at a milk gallery party, loved what she was spinning, and then two days later, she ended up on my set in a Nike shoot. We became fast friends from there and have collaborated on a handful of photo shoots and other things. So check out some of the photos we've shot over at shoptalkradio.com slash EP18. Jasmine has a great story, a great knowledge and appreciation for music. She gets the dance floor moving as an all-around hustler. Ironically, Jazz was on the semester at sea boat that almost went down in the Pacific Ocean, which was a life-changing experience for her. She does many other things as part of her brand. She blogs as a Burton girl, hosts a radio show for Radio Lily, broadcasted out of New York on Tuesdays, and has been hosting an MTV Iggy series. She's also created her own party called Electric Punani and has been on a worldwide tour with it this last year. On this episode, we'll learn about the behind the scenes of what it takes to become a DJ, what it's like to be a female in the industry, and about the importance of having a passion for music knowledge. It's funny, last summer I went to an influencer party in the Hamptons with Jasmine, and she introduced me to this awesome iPhone case called Corners 4. They are metal bumper type things that go on your on the corners of your iPhone, which prevent it from hitting the ground. I love them because not only do they protect the phone, but they've also been a great conversation piece um, hanging around wherever I'm at. Check them out. Corners4, as in the number 4.com. Enter the code ONKIN20 for a 20% discount. So without further ado, let's get into it. Alrighty, right. We got Jasmine in the studio today. What's up? How are you? Shop talk. Shop talk. Radio. Talk shop. Shop talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to the studio today. Thanks. Um, Just to get started, let's uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from, what you do, and a little bit. We'll we'll go through your story, but give us the the abridged version. Okay, so... um my name is Jasmine Solano, and I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, mm. but I have been a New Yorker now for almost a decade, which is kind of crazy. So I guess I'm almost an official New Yorker, although I feel I am from many places. So I don't know. I know the real New Yorkers that are from here, and uh, I don't think they're as hippy-dippy as I am. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, I, I do all things that involve music, be it DJing, making music, curating music, touring, all the production that goes behind having a musical career, a DJ career. Yeah. And um, including blogging and marketing and, and my hands are in a lot of different pots. Wow. So who have you uh, spun for? Um, in 2010, I was Wiz Khalifa's official DJ on the Deal or No Deal tour. Um, in 2011, I DJed for Beyonce for her Target uh, album release when she came out with Four. Um, I've DJed for Talib Kweli. I've DJed for a lot of artists, but the funny thing is that I'm also an artist. So even when I was on the Wiz tour, I would DJ a little bit and then I would come out from behind the turntables and rap. And then I would go back behind the turntables and DJ and intermission then, you know, for the opener. Um, I guess I really love the stage. I think I always have. And so I feel really comfortable on the stage. And I always, you know, I'm all over the stage freaking 
between the DJing and, and performing and rapping and hosting and talking to people and just. Yeah. So how did you get into DJing? So I started to DJ on the radio when I was 17. I went to school at Emerson College in Boston. I have a degree in music production and social marketing, which I don't think many people know about. But um, I went to Emerson because I could design my own major and kind of include marketing, politics, and audio production. And the radio station there, which is WERS 88.9 FM, that was my radio voice, by the way. Oh. <laughs> um, I started DJing on that station when I was 17. And at the time, it was the number one college radio station in the country. And it was a gorgeous facility right on the corner of Tremont and Boylston. For anyone that's been to Boston, it's right on the Boston Commons. And we treated it like it was a commercial station. You know, we competed with all the major players in the New England market. And... And that's where things really began. And then I bought my first pair of Technique turntables when I was 18 from a guy named Shale, who was really uh, responsible for getting me into a lot of the music that I was into. He was yeah. he was running like the hip hop section of this local record store in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is where I went to high school. And I was in that store every day. And um, he put me onto so much music and um he was the one that kind of started to show me how to dj when i was like 15 16 years old so it, it began really from my love of turntablism mm. so mix master mike dj qbert i was i was definitely a backpacker as a teenager and coming from philly i was really into neo soul um and you'll start to see that this is where like the hippie activist side of me <laughs> develops from. Like at that time, you know, Jill Scott, her first album came out. Music Soul Child's first album came out. The Roots were popping, you know. Mm. Um, and Neo Soul was like really celebrated, you know. And, and nowadays, I don't know where the hell it went. But um, those are the things that all really influenced um the beginnings of my DJing and performing career. Yeah, I love that. So now let's go back even further. Where did that spark come from? Mm -hmm. The, I mean, where, where it pushed you into the hustle? So I think my love for dance is kind of where it all began. Mm. Um, I was always a dancer as a kid, whether it was like ballet or tap or jazz or just performing and for friends and um, when I was nine, I performed Shoop at my fourth grade talent show. And I just remember that whole experience clearly. It was in front of like 1,100 people. I had organized my friends. I was like, okay, you're going to rap this part. And then we're going to have the guy come out. And Marcus is going to do this. And it's so funny. But it, it, looking back, I'm like, that was such a definitive yeah. point. Because here I am producing this show. And I'm in it. And I'm performing and um, I just remember that high. And like whenever it came time for like school dances or community dances, even as like a 10 year old, I, I would just wake up so happy that that was like the day that the dance was and just dancing and music and, and performing. I just, it was always a love from a, from a young age. Yeah. So what was it like with your parents, like upbringing and, and how, did, how did your parents bring you up? So I have an interesting household because my dad is from Indonesia. So he's, um, you know, he grew up on a farm. He knows how to do everything. <laughs> he has a gazillion friends and yeah. he pretty much, he pretty much made a crazy <laughs> successful life from having very little. And, um, and he's got this like Zen island thing about him so he's very happy people love him he's always laughing he doesn't talk all the time but when he does he says like the wisest quote you've probably heard all month and i just i look up to him a lot and then yeah. my mom is um like fourth generation russian american jewish comes from philly her dad is from South Philly. Her mom is from the Bronx. So you've got this real like soulful, kind of cynical, but like super, oh, she's just, she's just so down to earth and cool. Yeah. But she's also doesn't, she doesn't take any bullshit. She's no bullshit. Um, 
can I curse on this thing? Yes, yeah. You can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they are, they're a little bit of a yin and a yang. They're kind of opposites. Um, but one thing they have in common is, is that their love for music. My dad used to be a singer in a band. Um, he used to be in charge of the entertainment on a cruise ship. Um, my mom is a soul train, classic soul junkie. I was raised, I knew how to sing James Brown songs by age of five. Um, Otis wow. Redding, Aretha Franklin, Sam and Dave. I mean, these are Wilson Pickett. These are songs that I, I know forwards and backwards just from growing up to that. And um, my mom's ear for music and she can dance and she's just, um, she's so soulful, you know? Yeah. I feel like she was just reincarnated from like the South in the, in the twenties or thirties. I don't know. But, um, so that, that from, from the information I know about them, I think that's where it all comes from. Yeah. So you, you were kind of born a natural hustler then. Yeah. I mean, hustle is like the biggest, I would say key ingredient to the creative entrepreneur lifestyle and, and being able to make a living doing what you love hustle is a huge part which yeah. most people don't have mm. or i mean the people that do make it do have that but where's that switch i mean where does that mm. where does that drive come from within you wow that's a really good point um you know when i was born my parents didn't have enough money to live on their own so we moved back in with my mom's parents so i'm an only child i grew up in a house with four adults um, I think that lends to my old ladiness, maybe <laughs> some of my maturity. But I watched my parents go, both go back to school, uh, work night shifts, um, and go from really having, you know, not that much to my dad, you know, getting a, a job in computer programming in the 90s and watching him, you know, get a job at the World Trade Center commuting to New York every day because he got an excellent dot-com job. And, you know, my mom finished um, first in her class at nursing school. And I, I guess even as a child, you don't necessarily know, like, the topics or the um, the intricate paths that your parents are on but maybe some of that energy comes off on you hmm. you know I've never really thought about that actually till right now it's funny but um, I saw them eventually make enough money that we moved out of Philly just like 30 minutes out because the schools were getting really bad and my mom was big on education mm -hmm. and so we moved to a better area into our own house and um in where there was more nature. I, th I This is where I think I have like half of a city girl in me, half of like a, a hippie country, let's swim in rivers side to me. Cause I had both upbringings. Yeah. But, but yeah, back to what you were saying, you know, both my parents are not afraid to work hard. Yeah. And, um, my dad has always instilled in me the, the, um, the importance of discipline and working hard. I think, they were a little surprised at how far I took it. I, I think that my dad thought, that I, oh, she's definitely gonna be like a businesswoman or a doctor or a lawyer. Um, and I kind of went into the arts field. Yeah, but you've definitely like taken it into the arts field and you've hustled, mm -hmm. which is the biggest part. So, mm -hmm. and I admire you for that. That's, I mean, it's huge. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's huge and, and I mean, I, that's kind of a point that I would love to drive home is like how much hustle creates success because you can have talent, mm -hmm. you can have um, the vision, but if you don't have the hustle and the motivation to hustle and work hard, right. you're not going to get going to get to where you want to be. Right. And um, I think that's, that's a huge key, key component. So like, what would you say are, you know, like what, what was like one of the big monumental moments growing up that was a huge shapeshifter for you? Hmm. God, there were a lot of them. I think that, okay, I think that, um, I think what's interesting about your upbringing, and when I say you are, I mean in the most general sense, I think that 
a lot of people gain their confidence and their faith in themselves when they work hard and receive an award for it or a reward for it. Mm. Um, and that could be something very small. That could be your parents saying, if you get an A you know, in math this year, you will get a concert ticket to see Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think that's where it begins um, mm. with, with the parenting. But I think that once you have a few of those experiences where you're like, oh, wow, okay, I can, I can work hard and I can achieve something. And then it turns into you're old enough to have those experiences by yourself, you know, like I just worked hard on this project and I got an A or I just worked hard at this, my first job and I got this small promotion of like a dollar more an hour or something. Mm -hmm. Like I think it takes a lifetime of small successes to gain the confidence and the faith that you can succeed. And I think that that may be the seed to creating someone that has hustle in them. Yeah. It's just a theory because I think a lot of other things go into it, like environment, parenting, what you see is what you do. But I think that, I think that trying many things and having small successes in as many of them as possible is what allows you to do it again and again. Mm -hmm. Um, that was like, my, that's my general, I guess, theory. And I think for me, uh, one of the biggest milestones was when I was working at that radio station, 88.9 WERS. And the general manager said, um, I was doing the hip hop show for about three years. And I said, listen, if you ever want me to do my own show, and it's R&B and soul, like, I'll do it. I'll create it. I'll run it. I'll do it. That's what I really want to do. Mm. And uh, one year I got my opportunity. And they were like, okay, we're going to give you the Sunday night slot. It's going to be 11 to 1. I'm like, all right, got it. So <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm kind of a nerd. But I used to spend 10 hours a day working on that show. Mm. And I put so much into it that the ratings went up just on that little time slot. And we gave it a push and made it Saturday and Sunday nights, eight to midnight. And so for a year, I did those shows. I didn't travel, I didn't go anywhere. On Saturday and Sunday night, I did my show. It was called The Secret Spot. Mm. And I was a little bit of a love doctor. People would call up and tell me their relationship problems and I would give advice on the air and then I would play a song that related to it. But again, I'd be working for eight to 10 hours before my show just to, just to prep and make it perfect. Yeah. And after a year, I was nominated at the urban music awards in new England for best radio personality against people who, you know, the equivalent to like people who are on like hot nine, seven in New York, you know? Um, and I wound up winning for best female radio personality. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, also at Emerson, I won an Evie, which is like a Golden Globe <laughs> at that school, which, yeah. um, you know, people that have gone on to produce major films and um, major TV shows have won those awards at Emerson. So um, for, for my radio show. Yeah. And um, th I think that was one of those successes that was like, OK, OK, if you really do work your ass off, you know you can really prove to this culture or whatever community you're in that like you're a force to be reckoned with. You know? Yeah. Game changer. That's awesome. So uh, give us a little bit like, I guess what does the eight to 10 hours of preparation, what does that include? I mean, for some of us that maybe not, might not know what that, yeah. what kind of work that entails. I well mean, that, and that can, that type of work can expand to any field. And for example, for my show, I would just research. I already knew about R&B and soul music, like to the 10th degree, because I was raised on it. But there was still so much I didn't know. Um, and I wanted to just delve into, first, like the history of R&B and mm -hmm. soul, and just make sure that I included all the artists that were 
you know, classic. And then on top of that, I wanted to make sure that I formulated the the four hour show so that it flowed perfectly. Like we had a formula for, you know, what song could be back to back. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a, a classic soul song and then a '90s R&B and then like a super mainstream song and then take it back to, you know, a '50s jam. Um, so for me, it was about creating the formula of the actual like really programming the playlist. Hmm. But if, if you're not necessarily working in radio or music, like those hours can easily be spent just doing the research, yeah. like learning your craft, learning the history, learning about people who've done it before, learning about people who are doing it now and doing it well. Yeah. Research, research, research. And just the, the way that you would treat, the way you would treat your business or your craft is if you were taking a class on it without and but you're the teacher you yeah. have to you have to make up the rules you have to make up the guideline you know um and with so much information being available to you without necessarily being in school even though i'm p- super pro school um you can just sit there for 10 hours and research and watch youtube videos i you know i've spent like a, i spent two years studying the history of ska music and two-tone wow. music and how like ska music, ha- you know, developed into two tone, which is a blend of, you know, mod and rude boy stuff from London and, and Camden, you know, and um, I-, I just love learning about the history of music because I think it applies to culture and anthropology and all that stuff just fascinates me. So I think it's all about finding something that fascinates you like that, where you literally could be at a computer for 10 hours learning about it and not even know the time went by. Cause you're like, Oh my God, look at this world that I want to know everything about. I think, I think the key is finding that and kind of going from there, you know? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, that kind of gives me like a couple, there's two, two breaking points here. So first of all, describe the craft of what you do, the craft of, of DJing and, you know, cause it goes way, you know, your passion for music and your passion for the, like the knowing the history and the knowledge of music plays so much into, I feel like that's a lot of what the, the craft of DJing is, is to mm-hmm. know music, know the history, know how everything put is put together. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how does that work? So for me, um, and this is something I say actually in the MTV Iggy mini series show that's about to come out, but the opening, I even say like, I treat DJing like anthropology. Um, So studying the way music affects people has pretty much been my full-time job since I was 17 years old. Mm. And for example, in radio, um, radio and DJing, you can't just play all the music you want to hear at that moment. Um, You know, you can, and people might like it or might not, but, you know, a real DJ plays to connect with the crowd. Um, And to do that, you need to understand who the crowd is. And you can build your own name by DJing certain genres, and people will know you for that. But when it comes time to be in that room with 1,000 people, and you need to make as many of them move as possible, you mm-hmm. want to go for the music that can do that. Yeah. And so you need, to, you need to have, you know, iTunes libraries stacked in your brain. You need to know what's hot right now. You need to know what's classic. You need to know what country you're in and what the people like, what's the local music. You need to know, you know what I'm saying? Like what type of genres the people you're playing for like, and you need to test things out. But the the job of the DJ is to, is to really make the person go on a journey yeah. and move their body and let go of their inhibitions. And if you can do that, then you know, you're going to feel, you're going to get that tenfold. Yeah. So it's, it's a spiritual interaction when done right. And when you actually care about it. Um, and it's all about the study of music and what it does to people. Hmm. I love that. That's the craft. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's deep and I like it. And you get it because you're heavily affected by music. Oh, completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a very, a pretty attuned sense of, you know, even when I'm in 
a room where there's a DJ spinning, mm-hmm. I can tell the second it's like going up or down. Right. You know, yeah. They're yeah. Losing the crowd. They're getting yeah. the crowd. And it really is like a good DJ gets, gets the people moving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> simple as that. Yeah. And although it's not that simple to do. Yeah. Everybody so, thinks it is. So going into that, like when you're on stage <laughs> and you're spinning, how do you feel the crowd and then know where to go? By experience. Mm. That answer is, is 100% experience. Um, in the beginning, you know, you're so nervous. You're so nervous. Probably the same as like when you, when you did your first commercial photo shoot. You know, you're so nervous. And your nerves take over your brain. And you're trying to mix. And you're trying to make sure the equipment is okay. And does it sound all right? And then does this person like this song? And it's, it's hard to relax and get be open enough to connect with people that you're not going to speak to, mm. you know, it, it takes, it takes knowledge and it takes openness and it takes experience to actually DJ well, because you have to have gone through so many experiences where the crowd was not feeling you, where the crowd thought you were a God, where you were playing for two people, where you were playing for 20,000. Like the more you can throw yourself in these situations, the, the, the less fear you have, just like anyone who's really experienced doing something. And also you just become an expert. You become an expert at what to do in different situations. It's like, it's a little bit of like, being an athlete you know like it's a it's an athletic performance DJing like it's physical it's mental it's emotional it's spiritual and and you know and you have to yeah you just have to be really you have to be open yeah so now when you're that takes obviously there's there's a huge fear of failure yeah I mean what do you ever come across that? Yeah, every time. There's very few times where I am not scared of failing while DJing. Mm. And sometimes the feeling is only for a split second. Sometimes it's like my whole stomach is moving like crazy right before a gig. Um, sometimes maybe like once or twice a year, I'll have no fear because it'll maybe be like just all of my friends there or it's my party and I, you know, but yeah. there's there's always a little bit of, of the, of the jittery nervousness, um, which comes from like, you know, fear of, of not doing well. And I think that, I think that that's natural for any performer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's natural for any entrepreneur (laughs) and, um, you know, but like we, we were even talking about earlier, the key is like plowing through that and getting to the other side. Yeah. Because as soon as you can calm those nerves, which are natural for the most part, and acknowledge them, they're there, now go do what you came here to do. It's like it's like an athlete, you know? It's it's being able to have the the mental strength to um shut down certain thoughts and shut down certain fears in order to let your body do what it needs to do, what you've been training to do, what you've been working so hard to do. It's like now time to execute. And that takes a lot of mental strength, I think more than anything else. Yeah. So have you ever had a show that failed? Yeah. Mainly in the beginning. Um, But, you know, I've DJed all around the world. So I've DJed all around the U.S., uh, the Wiz tour was 60 cities in cities that I had like some I had never even heard of before in the U.S. Um, just like middle of nowhere. Wow. Like 500 kids came out ready to get down. Um, but yeah, I've definitely had times where I think I'm doing a good set, but like people don't want to hear New York hip hop or people don't want to hear Minimal House or they don't like the dance hall that I'm playing. They want to hear slow reggae. Like there's there's many different situations where somebody is not pleased and you can consider that a failure. But, um, at this point I don't look at that as failures. I just am like, okay, just need to adjust. Yeah. So I mean, then there, then you go into the the state of like people pleasing or doing, playing what you love. Right. How do you balance that? That's the fine line. And I think any DJ has to deal with something like that. 
I'm trying to I'm trying to always relate my stuff back to you too. It's almost like getting a really creative photographer who wants to do their own angles, but then the client is like, "No, can you just get the plane straight on shot?" That's a very general, <laughs> totally, you know, analogy. But totally. I'm just saying, like, um, you know, like when I make music, right? When I'm writing my own music, that's a hundred percent for me. Mm. That's where I go internal. That's where I kind of shut out the rest of the world and I just kind of let my inner spirit do the talking. Yeah. And whatever I produce is 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 me talking. And the DJing is kind of where I allow that's where like the extrovert is, you know? And I allow everyone else to kind of give me their energy and I'll I'll like feel it through the music and send it right back. I'm kind of like the What's what's the word? You know, like the 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 funnel. I the guess. channel, the funnel. The channel, the funnel. Um, but even though I'm in an extroverted um, mind state, and and I'm trying to make sure that everyone is happy, I'm also playing music that I love. Yeah. You know, I'm rarely, rarely ever not playing music that I love. It's just that I have to switch up which genre or which. BPM or which um, order that I'm in, you know, Mm -hmm. that's really where the adjustments come from. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's, it's such a balance Yeah, to like, and when you're doing these shows, how Mm. do you know what the crowd's going to be or what they, you know, is it like who sets up the party, the, the party or it's a mix. It could be a situation in which I've curated the party. So, they know what to expect coming in. Like if I've selected the DJs and the hosts, um, for example, my electric Punani party, if you're coming to that, you know you're going to hear dance hall and electro because that's what we've been doing for almost seven years now. Um, Or if it's a situation where someone hires me and I'm going to a different state, I'll normally talk to the promoter and be like, what kind of, what kind of night is this? What kind of crowd do you have? I'll, I'm the one that does like, all the research beforehand just to know what I'm expecting um, or to know what to expect from the crowd. But a lot of times it's just a freestyle. Yeah. And you got to see what works. That's, that's where the, that's where the mental music library comes in handy. Yeah, totally. So do people come after you uh, for like a certain style or, or vision that you, you put out there? I think so. it, It depends. Like, I think people come to me because they know that they're getting quality music. And I think a lot of people know that I'm in tune to a lot of underground music and they want to tap into that. Um, and, not, and underground can be anything from like Delta blues to, <laughs> you know, um, like a mashup between like 80s R&B dance hall that just came out in France last month, you know? <laughs> so it's, you know, I, I really like obscure music as long as it's soulful. Yeah. And I think that um, people come to me for that and also just good music. Yeah. So how do you find this like obscure, these obscure tunes? Man, I think, I mean, uh, the internet, you know, a SoundCloud. I think it's it's the same way that I used to spend 10 hours just, curating the perfect radio show it's like i'll spend hours upon hours just digging through sound clouds and different blogs that lead me to other blogs and um what blog did i, I found this one um like re, uh it was like it was like mexican ska oh, i found this one blog was like crazy and i i didn't understand what I was reading, but I loved what I was hearing. And like nowadays kids from all over the world will be forming bands or making beats and putting it up on a, on a blog. And it's absolutely accessible if you are spending the hours digging and digging (laughs) and just finding stuff that you like. But that's, that's a part of what I would do. Even if I was working a corporate job, you know, it's just something I've always been a music digger and, um, now I just do it digitally and now there's so much more, you know? Um, yeah. Well, you love the craft. Yeah. And I think that's hugely important in making this a career is like you do it because you love it. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you think that's gotten you to where you've gotten? 
Well, I think I'm like slightly obsessed, you know, like I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed by the power of music. I think that I've traveled a lot too, which is, I think, why we're good friends because we share that love for traveling. But, you know, when I travel, I, when I did travel this one time for a semester at Sea Trip, one of my classes was like about music from every country we were going to. And another class was about art and revolution in every country we were going to. So that trip allowed me to study music and culture in about like 15 different countries around the world and that that was like my homework for a whole semester while we sailed around the world yeah um so to me i'm so overwhelmed about how people can not even speak the same language and you put on a certain drum beat and all of a sudden people are best friends dancing Mm. together don't even have to know each other don't have to speak the same language doesn't matter your political or religious beliefs all of a sudden it's this um it's this uh, undeniable, overtaking, end-all, be-all language, you know? Yeah. And the way that it's uh, changed minds, sparked revolutions, br- you know, have it's bringing people together. I think all of that just, I'm so amazed by it that I never get tired of learning about how it does that, yeah. you know? And... um I think I've been obsessed for a long time and I think that unfortunately that's the key, you know? And there's times where I'm like, why don't I just go, you know, cause I watch HD, HGTV all the time. I'm like an interior design <laughs> feng shui fanatic. And I'm like, why can't I just go live in the woods and build me a cabin? Um, sometimes your passions haunt you because they're so intense. But I also think that if you don't have a passion you're not gonna really feel what it's like to be alive Mm. and having the passion and chasing it is what is going to bring life into your soul you know and there's going to be a lot of ups and downs and there's going to be pain there's going to be euphoria there's going to be reward there's going to be failure but that those are the qualities that make you feel alive in retrospect right yeah so what have you sacrificed in your life to keep your passion alive? I think I've sacrificed money. Mm. You know, um, a lot of people, when they graduate school, they go on to get um, high paying jobs. Maybe it doesn't have to do with their passion. Maybe it does. But um, if you're kind of going for the gold right away and you weren't handed a silver spoon, even if you're able to make a living, you're like, you're reinvesting your money all the time because Mm -hmm. it's your business or it's your brand. And, you know, all the money I've made has pretty much gone right back into all of the music and art that I produce. So I often think about like how much money I could have saved by now. (laughs) (laughs) But then I think, wait a minute, like I I am a full-time artist i'm a full-time dj producer music writer whatever you know um and i've i've i may not have millions yet yet is the keyword but i'm i've been able to make a living off of it for the past five years since i decided to go full-time and i think that that is a testament in itself you know so i think um I think sacrificing money, anyone who starts up their own business is probably going to have to sacrifice a lot of money and put, it, and put it right into there. And you may not get the return for another five to 10 years, you know, um, and that's kind of the reality. And um, I've sacrificed a lot of time, but I, I don't consider it. I don't really consider that a sacrifice because I really wouldn't want to be spending my time any other way. Um, I think I feel like I've just sacrificed money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you sacrifice time really isn't a sacrifice because yeah. if you're doing what you love, it doesn't even really feel like work. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. you'll get up at early and get if, to work, mm-hmm. but it's not even work. No, you're excited. Yeah. And the excitement is the is what fuels me. Yeah. So you were go. Let's go back a little bit. You were okay. on, on the semester at sea. Yes. And the one that almost capsized. Yes. <laughs> tell us, tell us about that. You can see it on storm stories. That is, um, 
That's an experience, which is so funny because another one of my guests, mm-hmm. Adam Braun, who started mm-hmm. Pencils of Promise, was on the same boat with <laughs> same you. Same boat. <laughs> <laughs> Very ironic. How, how comp- lucky we are to be alive. Yeah. Uh, but how did that, sh- how did that, actually, tell them, tell us about that experience, first of all, for right. those who haven't heard about it. So, um, well, Semester C is a program that I feel like should be mandatory for everyone in this world. Um, because basically for a whole semester, you travel around the world on a cruise ship and the cruise ship is converted to a college campus Mm. and you take classes while you're at sea and then you dock in all these different countries for four to seven days and the entire trip is educational. So you can treat it like it's a big vacation, but it's not, (laughs) you know, like you are learning about the country before you even step foot. A lot of times the um, president or mayor will come onto the ship before you even get off and introduce themselves and talk about, you know, their land. And it was just unreal. Like I lived in the Amazon for five days and we slept in in hammocks on a ferry boat. I swam in the Amazon. Like, you know, some of the stuff I did was just like, I had a five hour conversation with a Maasai warrior in um kenya and i'll never forget him um it was just unreal we talked about like women's rights and just the differences and he told me about you know when they're 18 they have to kill a lion and that proves that they've entered manhood (laughs) and i'm just sitting there looking at this man like um i'm in love with you right now but um yeah it was just the experiences that i've had like we're just uh, we're just insane, but okay. So when we left the United States, we were traveling from Vancouver to Korea. That's supposed mm-hmm. to be our first stop, and it was the winter time in the North Pacific Ocean. Now, my father, who used to work on a cruise ship for a good portion of his life, and knows his his brain is like a GPS for the whole world. You're like, how do I get here? And it's just like you know, he knows how, but um. He even said, like, I don't know if you should be going in that direction during the wintertime, but we figured, you know, it's an institution. They've been doing this for 25 years. They know what they're doing. Happened to be the first time that they were taking this route ever. Oh, we, wow. were the, we were the guinea pigs. They normally start in the Bahamas or Florida, which personally I would have enjoyed. Um, so, so we're going... Um, we're going well, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but we're going uh, west. And um, the more we're going, the more the seas are getting rockier and rockier. But this is the first time we're on the ship. So I'm thinking, oh, this is just how it is, I guess. You know, it's just really rough. But it would be to the point where, like, you had to hold on to your plate during dinner because otherwise it would slide off the table. Or sometimes, like, chairs and classes would fall over because you were rocking so much. Um, and then I remember it was the night of my birthday, which is on January 25th. And we were crossing the international dateline, which is um, pretty much smack dab in the middle of the North Pacific between any land, you know, between Korea um, and uh, Canada. And I remember it being extra rocky that night. And at that night we went to sleep and around 2.30 in the morning, we were woken up because our beds just slid like slid down into the wall. It was that we had, we, it was like we were on a 40 degree tilt and I just remember getting up and being like, oh, we got to get the fuck out of this room, you know? And I remember that I was flown into my door. <laughs> it was wow. really hard. It was really hard to get out of the room. And, um, at this point, you know, we're all in a panic. Like, yeah. we're all in a panic. We're all woken up from our sleep. There's a lot of the furniture in the in the rooms are, are made of glass. Um, so, I, you know, I could only imagine, like, what had happened in the other rooms. Um, then there was an announcement to put on our life jackets. And that was really hard to do because we had to go back into our rooms to get it. But imagine a, um, almost like one of those rides. It's in an amusement park that's just, like... <laughs> you know it's just going like rocking back and forth but to the point where like you are falling straight down when it, and it's at its height so they tell us to get our life jackets on and to go to the center of the boat we had already practiced this procedure you know before taking off um 
And then we all went to the middle of the ship and they separated the men and the women, which I was like, oh, Lord, because they still do that. That's still like a rule at sea because women and children will will get out first. Um, And at that point, I was like, "Okay, well, we might die tonight. We might die tonight. And my mom's never going to forgive herself for letting me go on this. These are the thoughts I was having. And because the um, lifeboats were rocking so hard that I don't even know if we would have really been able to get into them. And what had happened was at at 2.30 in the morning at that time, an 80-foot wave knocked out our bridge window and completely wiped out our navigation. Hmm. And if we had been, I think, only like five more degrees on a tilt, we would have tipped over. And probably drowned. Um, The waves were 80 to 100 feet. We were in the middle of 11 storms. I remember our captain showed us a projection like the night before and was like, okay, this is where we are. And then everywhere you see an L is where a storm is. And there were 11 L's. And I'm like, okay, is this normal? Like, is this what everyone goes through on this trip? And um, luckily by the captain and the grace of God, um, they, they took us a little more south. It took hours before we were even anywhere near slightly calmer water. We were a day and a half away via helicopter from the Coast Guard. Um, and the closest land was like was Hawaii. And it was, I think, a day or two to get down there. Jeez. So um, by the grace of God, we got into clearer waters. It took about a day or two. We docked in Hawaii. And we had to stay there for two weeks while they assessed the ship. Um, And then they made the plans to fly us to Asia until the ship was repaired. And then we met back up with the ship in Vietnam. But um, that was just so crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't even imagine. (laughs) it, It was a moment where I was like, I might die like this. This is my worst fear of dying in the ocean, like Titanic. Yeah, that's it. that's the that's the one thing that comes to mind. So like, <laughs> obviously, that's a very traumatic experiment experience. Like, how did that how did that impact your life from there on out? I'm not that fond of cruise ships. <laughs> Let's just say that I'm not that fond of them. Um, you know, I mean, everyone's got to fear the ocean, but the ocean is a powerful, a powerful beast. Yeah, in all its glory. Uh, that can swallow you whole with no mercy. Um, <laughs> that's how I came out of that. Yeah, I mean, I would do it again, though. You know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to get on a cruise ship. But um, I was always kind of a serious person. And I'm sure that that just added to it. You know, I'm like, okay, we got one life. We got to do it. We got to <laughs> do it right because you don't know when it's going to end. Um, right. But the rest of the trip was so awesome. And maybe I was young enough, like... I don't even think I was 20 years old. I wasn't even 20 years old yet. I was, I think I just turned 19 or something. So I think I was still young enough for, for you to just like bounce back and it not be like, it's not like you're 35. Not that that's old, but I'm just saying like, (laughs) do you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're still kind of young and dumb, like before, before you're 20. (laughs) And so maybe you're just soaking in life's experiences and just not realizing how insane they are, you know, like, until you're older and you're like, wow, if I ever have a kid that goes through that, I might have a heart attack. Right. So. Oh, my God. And back then, you know, like there was just this one humongous phone you could use from at sea. So we couldn't really call our families. Some people could. But like, I'm like, oh, my God, I just hope my parents don't hear about this before. Like CNN just oh broadcast God. it and they think I died. And um, but. You're, I guess I realized how small I was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In such a big universe. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. crazy. In such a big ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone the universe. My God. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how you went from there, if you, you graduated, where'd you work after that? I worked for a production company that was really small. Um, I worked for them for two years and it was really just like the boss, me and the VP of videos. So this guy like pretty much let me run his company, which was great because I got to have all this experience. But I was doing everything from like 
client relations to inter- hiring interns to the accounting. I mean, yeah. it was kind of nuts. But at the same time, we were producing, you know, big budget videos for major labels and major artists. So I got to see how that was really done. And yeah. the VP of production really taught me how to produce a video the right way, um, which led to me being able to produce all my music videos pretty much, wow. you know? Um, yeah. And that's, and that's where the producer side, but that's where the, and then we started a small record label actually with junior Sanchez. Yeah. And so I was kind of helping to run the label as well. And artist management with that. And, you know, like the behind the scenes stuff that I do has always been equivalent to in front of the scene, you know, in front yeah. of the camera on the stage. Even when I was working at that radio station, I became the program director of the station. So I was managing about like 100 people. Jeez. Yeah. And we had 25 different shows. And um, that's, that's, a, that's a handful. Yeah. But uh, I love it. You know, I, I love... I love all the aspects of it, um, of just making something happen and getting people to work together in the best way they can, where they want to achieve a lot together, you know? Yeah. So how, what, when you went full time, yeah. what was the transition there for you? Well, for two years I had like, I had worked like 10 hour days for this company and then I would DJ at night. So, I would literally work from like 10 a.m. to like 8 p.m. And then I would come home. I would take a nap from like 9 to 10.30. I would get up and I would go out. And then I would sleep from like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. And then do it all over again. Um, And it was crazy and it was awesome and I learned a lot. But eventually I was like, okay. What if I put all this energy that I put into this other person's company into my own brand? Like, what would that really, what would really happen, you know? Yeah. And I had saved up enough money from working there because it was a real job that I got paid every two weeks. Those days are, I, I look at those days as glorious days. And uh, I'd saved up enough money that I could do it. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I really need to credit Ninja Sonic because uh, this guy Teen Wolf, who used to be a part of Ninja Sonic, he was the DJ and producer. I had put out a song called That's Not It with DJ Wonder. He heard it and he was like, you should open up for us and you should open up again and you should come on tour with us. Wow. And I did. I, I drove my little Honda all <laughs> through Canada, across country and back. Wow. And performed every night. And I was the driver. My friend came with me, but she didn't have a license. Lord have mercy. So, you know, they were really the um, initiators of me just getting out there. And they were the leaders of the hip hop punk rock scene. Absolutely the leaders in the whole country. And um, they're forever my brothers, but it was really them taking me under their wing that, that started things off that I immediately when I quit, like two months later, put out a song and, and then in like four months I was on tour. That's amazing. And then that's the year that like MySpace had me open up for all these people Yeah. and BET featured me and it just all, I mean that year, you know, 2009, it was just like, wow, okay. I had made the right decision you know yeah so when you were facing this jump jumping off the cliff into mm-hmm. doing your own thing what was going through your mind what were you were you afraid what what, what did it take from you to jump off that cliff um i was relieved ah. yeah because i i had just been working so hard so many hours for this company um that I in my head I remember being like oh my god how great would it be if I could just like do yoga and and work on music what if what if my life was just like that every day and I remember I did that for like nine months straight I was doing Bikram yoga like three times a week writing music doing nothing but music eating no dairy, no coffee, strictly organic. I remember it being a, a very disciplined year, mm. but it, it brought me back into myself, you know? Because I, I was getting sick a lot 
while working because again my i wasn't getting a lot of sleep yeah i think i was smoking too much drinking too much eating too much <laughs> lasagna you know like just kind of letting new york take me over a little bit and then when i decided to go for broke um i really came back into myself yeah so for me actually um and i had saved up a little bit of money so i knew i wasn't gonna be like needing to um hustle like crazy in the beginning but that money got spent oh man as it always does <laughs> no it did new york city that's not a hard thing to uh happen not even new york like paying for my videos paying for recording time paying for artwork um yeah. you know expenses that a label would take care of yeah i've been paying that yeah i have been my own label <laughs> exactly and, so and, how, and my own production company you know like <laughs> that's amazing that's crazy but how important is it to invest in your own art then it's the same the way that you would invest in your health yeah. it's the same way you would invest in your children it's like it's a necessity yeah. and what else are you gonna um invest in than the thing you really want to grow right you know yeah that's huge 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 and it's and it, it and like that's I think that's the thing I think that um I think people always divide their survival and their passions and the people that are successful with leading a life that involves their passions are the people that treat the passion like it's a mode of survival Meaning, you know, most people worry like, well, I have to make enough money to eat and I have to make enough money to have shelter and I have to make enough money to um, have my car, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, what if you thought about, well, I have to make enough money to run my interior design business and I have to make enough money to be a, to be a independent photographer. And I have, you know what I mean? Like yeah. when you treat it like it's as um, essential to your livelihood as food <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but you look around at any and talk to any real entrepreneur and look at how much time and crazy energy they've put into their passion. Yeah. You, you would think they were nuts. Sometimes they probably didn't even eat, you know, because the, the passion was more important. <laughs> and, I've been there. And yeah, you know, and um. I'm not saying that uh I'm not saying that everyone should like quit their day job and you know <laughs> go go um join the circus. But I think that there's a way that you can start to fantasize and wonder what your passions are, mm -hmm. what you can't stop thinking about on the side, you know? Um what really makes you feel like you have a purpose here, uh, mm. things like that. When you start asking those questions and finding those answers, there are ways to then incorporate that in your life. Yeah. And you just have to think creatively and you have to have a little bit of a business mindset or find someone that has a business mindset that can help you, you yeah, know? Totally. And you can slowly kind of, and I'm speaking to people who, who maybe are thinking about delving into a life where they follow their passions, you know, versus like maybe someone who's already in it right now. Yeah. Um, but I think that you can easily, slowly incorporate what you love into your life. It doesn't have to be a, I jumped off the cliff and now I have no money and I don't even know where to start. It's like, you can start to do things on the side. You can do research. You can talk to different people. You can create small things. You can create a blog, a website, you know, you can join forums, you can take classes. Like there's so many things you can do to get the ball rolling mm -hmm. and you never know where the ball's going to end up and where it ends up may be a point where you have to take the, the, the jump. Yeah. But by then, <laughs> you already have all the tools you need. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to be passionate about it enough to put in the hours, even if you say you're working a full-time job. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even harder to get motivated to do that stuff after hours. Totally. And I mean, I was there. I, yeah. took, I took my nap and then went to the club and then, <laughs> and then slept for two hours in the morning. You got to be a little crazy. Yeah. And crazy just means a little bit unconventional. 
you know there's crazies but i mean <laughs> if we're talking like just that that perfect little piece of crazy um you you need that you know yeah. just just like just like in anything you got to be like crazy in love if you're if you want to get married you got to be um crazy about like being healthy if you really want to start a diet or start working out you know like you have to have that um extra desire to accomplish something yeah in order to do it truth 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 i feel like we're leading a a a church service right now (laughs) (laughs) jazzy and nick's church on a on a thursday what day is it thursday i don't even know (laughs) i think that's the true the the true mindset of an entrepreneur you don't even know what day it is never know what day you work every day i got it every day (laughs) every day like oh it's sunday really because i'm in my computer (laughs) you know what i mean totally so two quick more two more quick questions the first Mm -hmm. one is what advice would you give to somebody that wants to become a dj hmm First of all, the DJ game has changed, which we were talking about earlier. Um, And I think the best way to learn about the DJ game is, again, research, research, research. I think, like, watching videos of Africa Bombada, Grandmaster Flash, there's a movie called Scratch that's really good Mm -hmm. and just shows the history of DJing and turntablism. Learn about where it started. You have to learn about what's been before you to know where you're at that's kind of my uh, that's what i believe so i feel like studying the history of it is really key especially because um djing is somewhat new um but it's getting older and older as the years go by Mm -hmm. and then i think it's all about getting out there and going and watching djs every night Go see a different DJ every night. Learn about what a good DJ is and what a bad DJ is. Learn about what the crowd does when they're near a good DJ. Go to festivals. Go to the dive bar. You know, like really get out there and see what it's like for a DJ. Another thing is intern for a DJ. DJs always need help. They need to download music every day. Every day. You know, like go find them record pools where you can download music for them and then you get to keep the music and you share the music with them. Um, Take classes at places like Dubspot and Scratch Academy. Those are DJ schools, Mm -hmm. you know, where amazing teachers are there. Dubspot is my favorite. I've taken a bunch of production classes there. Um, And, you know, fill yourself with knowledge. And then when you feel like you've practiced enough at home and you've really done the research and learned the craft, then go get a weekly spot at a small place that either if you're in a small town, a dive bar, if you're in New York, just like a small club and just get a place where like they may not pay you a lot, but you can practice DJing live every week and there's not too much pressure, but you can, you can, you can learn what it's like to DJ with people there, which is very different than DJing at home. Mm. Um, and then grow from there. Build the community. Try to talk to other DJs. Don't be annoying. Don't be thirsty. Be a real person, you know? Like, no one likes someone that just wants to treat other people like a means to an end, you know? If you're a student, like, humble yourself and and go talk to an excellent DJ and say, hey, like, I'm learning. I, I just want to watch you in the club. Can I carry your DJ bag? Can I help you set up and then, and then get your equipment off? Like, I'll do whatever it takes, mm. you know? Um, those are some of my, you know, beginning suggestions for people that want to learn how to DJ. Yeah, love that. Mm. And the last question, what does live inspiration mean to you? Mm, I I feel like that means like live, eat, sleep, breathe inspiration, you know? Um, And that ties into what we were saying where if you're not inspired, you're not really living. Mm. Because if you don't have anything that's exciting to you, then what is is your life about, you know? If... if, um, and that could be, it doesn't matter what's exciting to you as long as something is exciting, inspiring. Like it could be something really small. You don't have to want to be the biggest pop star in the world. You could be excited to, you know, build your next house and you yeah. do everything you have to to learn how to do it, you know? Like I just feel like live inspiration is, is um, to me, it's a, it's a necessity to feel alive. And I think that, 
we'd be a better human race if everyone had the opportunity to chase their inspirations and to be constantly inspired. You know, not everyone has that luxury. Yeah. Um, especially not in the U.S. We take it for granted here for sure. And, yeah. in, and in New York, forget it. Like, we're all smart. We're all driven. We're, you know, like, we're <laughs> all not sleeping. And I think it's great to travel because you're like, oh, this person doesn't really have running water. Okay, that puts a lot into perspective for me. Like, I've got a silver plate compared to this person. Like, I need to take advantage of that. Yeah. I need to make it useful. I need to, I need to you know, accept the challenge of yeah. what life has given me, you know? So I think that um, if you're not inspired, you need to go get inspired t now, tonight, tomorrow, because um, it's what is going to keep you happy and motivated and live a good life. Yeah. Love it. Yay. So uh, where can we find you on the internets? The internets, AKA the World Wide web. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Again, the nerd. I'm a little bit of a nerd. Um, hey, Jas I, love it. I love it. Okay. JasmineSolano.com, at JasmineSolano, Instagram, Twitter. And um, all my information is very accessible. Perfect. In those places. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for thanks coming for on the show. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm glad people get to hear us talk because, you know, Nick and I are homies, as are probably most of the people that you're interviewing. But uh, it's cool that other people are not going to hear, like, some of the deep stuff that we talk about while eating tacos or your famous um kale platter love it thanks yes. thank you <laughs> <laughs>Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio and joining me as we dive underneath the hood of the creative lifestyle. Again, I am your host, Nick Onkin, and if you enjoyed today's episode, then go over to iTunes and leave us a good review so that we can spread the word and inspire even more people in the world to live inspiration and share their inner creativity. Also, we'd love to see where you're listening to the podcast, so snap a photo on Instagram, hashtag liveinspiration, or tag me at Nick Onkin so that you can inspire other people to listen wherever they are at. But beyond this, check out NickOnkinShopTalk.com to read articles on creating the creative lifestyle anywhere from emotional intelligence to any other aspect of creative entrepreneurship. I'll be also posting up editorial content in the form of visual essays that I get to create with my photographic eye and my craft and my career. Uh, but most of all, get to join the underground creative community that we're creating. So thanks again for joining us. Now go share your creativity with the world. Uh -huh.